The Lord be with you. Luke 11 today. I don't have too much to distract me from that, so maybe we'll get, we'll start, we'll start into Luke 11 on the Lord's Prayer. So um, if, you, if, you ha- if you have one, or um, if you could, you might want to grab a Bible. No, you don't, you don't need it. Why would you need a Bible on Bible study? I printed, I just remembered that I printed um, the catechism on the back of your handout there. So we're going to be looking at that here in a little bit. Reviewing prayer, we started talking about the Lord's Prayer last, uh, last time. So um, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off and see how far we can get into prayer. So Luke 11 has all these discourses. One, the big first one is on prayer, and then it gets into demons, which we'll probably get to next time. So prayer, Ver, uh, chapter 11. I read it last time, so I won't, I won't read the whole thing again, but just kind of we'll go through verse by verse. Jesus was, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As we, as we have that, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray is, is in our divine service. So we start that echoing the disciples. And Jesus gives basically a summarized version of the Lord's Prayer that we say primarily from Matthew 6 uh, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount is where, our, is, is where the more lengthy Lord's Prayer comes from. But the, most of the main petitions are there. It's omitted a couple um, that will be done and deliver us from evil. But so let's look at the Lord's Prayer. And he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. So we talked about last week, Father, the significance of praying our Father. And on the back of your handout, you can see, maybe if you flip over, we can kind of track it parallel. Our Father, heart in heaven, what does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father. He is our true father. Wait a second. I know my true father is, is Robert Mitchell Clemmer. He lives in Lena, Mississippi. He weighs like 300 pounds, even though we try to tell him to cut back on the donuts. You know? uh, but that's my true father. But no, my true father, your true father is our heavenly father, right? And so and, and our, he's given us our earthly fathers as stewards of us. For a time, as fathers, we, see our, we should see our children as gifts um, to be, for us to be stewards over these gifts who ultimately belong to the Lord. And we take our cues on what a father is and how a father loves from our heavenly father. And I talked about that briefly last time and how everybody's, everyone's father is sinful. Some maybe more so than others, or some maybe uh, stuck in particular vices. But so not everybody's perspective of father is necessarily a loving one. If you've got a father who's abandoned you or beat you or whatever it was. So we're, we're mindful of is that the picture of what a father is supposed to be is our heavenly father and how he loves us, preserves us, sustains us, redeems us, continues to abide with us. And then as earthly fathers, we take our cue of what love is and what selflessness and what protection and, and uh, provision for our family is. We take that cue from him. We are his true children 
So with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. Boldness and confidence. That's going to come up in this, uh, when we get through the Lord's Prayer, you get, he gets this parable of a, of, a, of a person annoyingly knocking on the neighbor's door asking for food in, in the middle of the night with, with a boldness. There's no, like there's not an issue. Like um, my, my dad's a veterinarian, which is, it's super convenient to have a dad who's a veterinarian when you've got dogs. Hey, Dad, uh, Lily's doing this weird thing where she, whatever, and he'll say, oh, she's probably got this and this. I'll send you some meds tomorrow. Done. You know, it's like, it's super easy. But it'll be like, you know, in the middle of the night, let's say, really late at night, and I'm thinking, hey, Dad's probably going to sleep soon. Uh, maybe, maybe it won't bother him. But no. If he knew that I had that thought the next day, but why didn't you just call me? Right? Dad's? Like, you call me. You're in trouble. You call me. You don't hesitate. You know I'm going to pick up the phone. So as children, we, like, that's the boldness and confidence that we want our children to come to us with requests. Dad, can you help me with my math homework? Never ask me questions. It's, after seven. it's not like the dad on Downton Abbey who says five minutes with the kids and send them to the nanny. Uh, that's probably not a helpful picture of Heavenly Father. It's actually a dad who wants to be with his kids and support his kids and love his kids and wants his kids to come to him with requests. Uh, not even knowing what we need or what we want. That's the, the significance here as a child asks a parent. The child does not know what the child needs. That's why they have you. You have to kind of sort through the difference. And sometimes you don't always know. So you're having to pray for guidance and wisdom, but ultimately we're, we're after, our love is having us provide for our kids what is best for them at the time that's best for them. And the kids, we want, to, we want them to know that. Hey, you know, I, I know you don't understand why we're not, whatever, going to the pool today, whatever, because it's a billion degrees outside and why you think it would be comforting, you'll burst into flames immediately because you're super white, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> whatever the thing is that, I, I know you don't understand, but you don't need to understand. You just need to know that I love you and that I'm doing what's best for you. That's, the, that's behind the entire Lord's Prayer. That's behind the, the parable that's going to come up here after the Lord's Prayer. So it's this picture of a child asking, Dad, can I have another cookie? Sometimes you'll say yes to that. Sometimes no. I mean, it just kind of depends on the situation, right? How many cookies have you had? Yeah. It's always struck me that uh, teach us to pray, and Jesus says, when you pray, say. And there are those people today who say that you shouldn't use memorized prayers. It has to be, you know, from the heart. That's a good point. Um, so the, Dave's uh, comment was that sometimes the, you might hear the allegation that, you know, memorized prayers or wrote prayer, and really our liturgy, it, in fact, our entire liturgy is this way. The whole, the whole thing is written down. Nothing is like unscripted, off the cuff, kind of led by the Spirit. So it's not, it's not bad for us to pray without, without a script. And in fact, all of our prayers, from our family prayers, um, I pray like every Thanksgiving, go to my, as Mandy, Mandy will attest to this, Dad's going to ask me to pray. So we get, we're all in together in the living room, everybody's holding hands. 
and I got half my family's Baptist and they're wanting some like super emotional spirit driven thing. And I'm like, it's not my style. Dad's like, Seth, you pray. Oh. <laughs> Dear Jesus, we just want to come to you today. Like, it's not, it's not bad to actually have a sincere from the heart prayer though. But ultimately the way that we pray to God, even in our off the cuffness, is ultimately guided by what he has taught us. We pray to him as our heavenly father. We ultimately recognize that it's his will as this being done and not ours. We're, 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 we're thankful to him for providing our daily bread. We're wanting him to protect us from evil. And that's really all the stuff that we would pray for anyway is in the Lord's prayer. So he's ordering it for us. Um, so we want to recognize that we, we certainly are free to pray non-wrote non or memorized or written prayers, and that's totally fine. But also we should have a confidence that it's not like this is somehow less valuable in God's sight to pray because Jesus himself said, when you pray, here you go. Here's the script. And it's helpful having that repeated script because I've talked to a lot, of, a lot of people, mostly elderly, suffering with memory loss issues, and they don't know why I'm there or who I am necessarily. They don't know who their kids are all the time. And I'll say, our father, and they go. Why? Because they, they've said it a million times. The prayer stays with them. And it's, so we, there's, a, there's a value, and not just the Lord's Prayer, but all the liturgy that we do over and over and over again. Uh, when you're, when you're, I was visiting Roger Holman right, the week, week, weekend before he died, and like, it was just me and him in this room, and he was, he was like unconscious. And I did the, the commendation of the dying, had a few prayers, and I'm, look, I'm alone. Let's just sing. So I sang a couple of hymns that I could remember, but then like, I ran out of hymns. I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna do like Simon and Garfunkel. It's not really appropriate. But the liturgy, you know, create in me a clean heart, oh God. You can go with these things. Lord, have mercy upon us. Like you, we've sung it so many times. It's there for you in the foxholes of life when you need it. That's why we sing it over and over again to get it in your, in your brain. So the, the Lord's Prayer is certainly, it's good uh, to have a prayer that we've repeated and said so often that we stick, it sticks with us. And yet also it's helpful to slow down and chew on it like we're doing today. So we even think about why I'm saying what I'm saying when I'm saying it. Because when we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you're not really slowing down to unfold the whole thing. And that's okay too. It's not like God's, well, did you really mean it when you ask? That particular thing, were you, how sincere were you, Molly, when you prayed the Lord's Prayer earlier? You know, like, what, what does sincere enough look like? How do I know that, well, I, I, I was paying attention most of the way, but there was a super squirmy baby or whatever it was. But I was really, I, I was trying to focus a lot, but was I focusing enough? And now my subjectivity has destroyed the Lord's Prayer. And Lord, stop Looking at yourself. I gave you this prayer, say the prayer. You know I'm listening to you because that's how fathers do to their children. So with boldness and confidence, we pray. Um, and, but also we, wanna, we also take our cue in our, in our off-the-cuff prayers with our children, our family, or for ourselves. You know, Lord, help me. Um, <laughs> the, it's not really the way the movies teach us to pray. 
God, I don't know if you're even there. I don't know if you're listening. Well, then why, do you, why are you bothering to pray to him at all? You know, he's, he's taught us to pray and said he's listening. So we know that he's listening. We can, with boldness and confidence, not doubt and despair and, well, I've tried everything else and God, I don't even know if this is going to make a difference, but no. Um, with boldness and confidence, we ask him as dear children ask their dear father. Beautiful. Um, so in the, back to Matthew, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, hallowed, that is holy, um, for his name to be holy. Hallowed be thy name. God's name is certainly holy in itself. Well, duh. So God's name, so what is, where do we run across God's name the first time? Well, that's us, sorry, in the Bible. When does God's name show up? Well, he doesn't give us his name there. He doesn't give us his name. The burning bush with Moses. Who sent me? Who, who should I say sent me? And as he approached the bush, hey, take off your shoes you're standing on. Holy ground. So God, so uh, Moses asks, what is your name? Uh, my name is Hebrew, I am. Yahweh is Hebrew for I am. That's a confusing thing. So his name is his being, his presence. For us, the most simple of like verbs is the is verb. He is existence. So his existence, his presence is tied up with his name. So where God puts his name, he's putting also what? Himself. Which is why when you go back and look at the Old Testament, at the dedication of the temple, and really leading up to the dedication of the temple, they're always praying, Lord, uh, cause your name to dwell among us. And God said, I'm going to build a temple for my name to dwell there. So when does a name need a dwelling place? Well, ever since a name was a presence. So God puts his name and presence in the temple so that people would know where to find. Of course, certainly God is everywhere, right? He's, he's, with, he's with all the Israelites on the northern side of Israel, all those who are cast out in the, in the like, dispersion and the, the exiles. He's with them everywhere they go. But for their certainty, they knew they would go to the temple for the sacrifices to receive God according to his mercy. So he is everywhere, but he's not everywhere according to mercy necessarily. So God puts his name at the temple so they could find him in mercy with certainty. And then he takes up the same in the New Testament. He puts his name no longer in the temple, but on us and holy baptism. So then now, and it's no mistake, it's no accident that Jesus Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all, all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am, I am with you always. I am with you always because I put my name on you. And where my name is, I am. So we know that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is there at the temple is now with me. And because I bear his name, I wanted his name to always be holy. Now, we're going to unfold that here in the catechism. But what is the name? For his name to be holy, what's his name? He's, he is God. His name is certainly holy in itself. All I'm going to do is mess it up. And that's the point. And that's really the prayer, is that we pray for God's name to be holy among us. So here in the in the catechism, God's name is certainly holy in itself. We pray in this petition that it would be kept, it would be kept 
holy among them. It started, I don't make it holy, it already is. I just don't want to make it, I don't want to mess it up. How would I mess it up? How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. Because it is the very word of God itself that makes things holy. Who, who's the holy member of the Trinity? Who, who's the, who's, sorry, who's the holying one? Who makes things holy? The Holy Spirit, the sanctifier. Sanctify means to make holy. So the Holy Spirit's making things holy. Well, how, what, what does the Holy Spirit work through? The Word of God. So where God's Word is, holiness is. So we want God's name kept holy when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity. That's where holiness is going, going forth, going out. And that we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it, according to that word of God. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven, because I very often don't. Anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. And that's not just fingers pointing everybody else. Mostly, when I live contrary to the word of God, it's one thing to teach contrary to God's word, to teach, you know, straight up blasphemy, heresy, contrary to God's word. And there are those who, you know, live in direct contrast to the scriptures, despite God's clear word on, of yes and no on things. But here it's also, we're, we're no better. Every, every sin that we have is, is our transgression against God's word that we knew, we knew better, and yet we still broke it. So we, that's where we see God's name is defamed. The picture I give the kids is like um, when you're, if you're going to Wendy's with your friends and you're, and you're going to goof around and, and be 10-year-old boys, do what 10-year-old boys do and run around and break stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I know what girls do and they're sweet and very calm <laughs> for now. But yes, I, it, what, stick with me here on the, the, boy, the uh, boys in Wendy's running around, break, you know, causing mischief, but just being boys. That's fine. But when you're going to do that, make sure you're not wearing your Bethany volleyball jersey. <laughs> because then it's not just you, but it's also a reflection on Bethany. And I don't, if, if the jersey has our last name on the back... Clemmer. <sighs> so now it's like my name is brought into this. So it's not just the kid who did trouble. It's the kid who went to Bethany who's a Clemmer. And that's us. So we, we bear God's name. So when we sin, that's how we're bringing shame, not just to ourselves, but ultimately to his name. Because he's called us to be holy. Now that's, that's ultimately what that's what we repent of and pray for forgiveness for. That's where we see our sin. But as Christians, we're always praying against that. We don't want to defame his name. Not just because we want to keep his name clean, but really, more selfishly, our sin is not good for us or other people. It always comes back to bite us. It's not good. That's why, by the way, he says not to do it. He can endure his name being defamed. He's spit upon, mocked, hung on the tree. If anybody can handle mockery and shame of his name, it's him. But when we do it, we're actually bringing damage to ourselves and those around us. 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Um, oh, so I should unfold holy one more time. So hol- to be, something to be holy is, it's weird. Like, what, what does holy mean? Set apart. Well, like, what, is, what does that mean? Have you just thought about that? So we, God, what else is holy besides God? Or the things that belong to God? You say pizza? What is it? Your sock? <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, holes. Swiss cheese. Oh, dad jokes. <laughs> no. Uh, so we, we only use the word holy to describe God and the things of God. And so it's hard to actually un- give it more of a definition than it already is. It just, it's holy. It's, it, it's of God. It's, set, it's something that is not like anything else. It's just of God. That's still, it's not really a definition. It's just saying, saying something. It's holy. Um, well, and that's, that's how we're kind of under, to understand it. I like to, us trying to describe holy. It's thing, something that's set apart by God for God. God has made things holy. Yeah, Ina. I think if we read through, especially the New Testament, it so often describes what holy lives should be like, right? I mean, in all the epistles and everything. So if we take time to read all that, it fleshes it out for us more. And it means holy also means we can enjoy what God's given us. It doesn't mean to, you know, be ascetic or whatever, but if we just read his word and it, it fleshes it out. Exactly. So to, to abstain, so to be holy is not merely negative abstentions, right. but it's to delight in the good gifts that God has given us, but in their proper place. In fact, like that's all sin is, is things that are taken out of their given order. So age in here. Uh, sexuality is a gift only within marriage. You pull it out of marriage and now we've got adultery. Your stuff is good. Money is good, but it can become your God and then it becomes bad, right? Uh, death, this is an interesting thing. God, you know, death is only a, fall, a product of a fall into sin, but even God still then takes up death and uses it toward good. So there's uh, punishment for those who do evil. So soldiers can kill, um, military, uh, police officers, the hangman. Their vocation is, is a good vocation because it's in God's proper order of things. But when we take death out of the proper given vocation, we have mass shootings and whatever, suicide, murder. That's where we see sin. So whenever things ordered according to God's gift of things, for, for things that we should abstain from and things that we should delight in, it is good and holy. So that's, we, we're able to describe our people, our, our lives as holy. Um, and really that's what, is that, we're, when, when people come to me and they're trying to make a difficult decision, they're ultimately trying to make a holy decision. Like my, my loved ones on life support, uh, what do I do? The doctor said this. This other doctor, though, I, I read, I Googled it, and I found this other thing. There's these two options. Which, but I want to, I want to make the holy decision. That is, I want the the decision that's in accord with God's word, that's going to be God pleasing in some way. That's what we're asking. So, for God's name to be holy is for His His word to go forth purely and and uh, and rightly. Thy kingdom come. Uh, St. Augustine said, God's kingdom never departs, but it is absent 
to the ignorant. So God's, so in the same way that we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's like it's his kingdom is always where, it, where he puts it, where he wants it to be. We just don't recognize it because we're ignorant of it. So it's not like our prayer is going to cause God's kingdom to do something that he wasn't already planning on. He's the king. Now, while that's true, by the way, he's holding these two things in check. He's the king who does what he wants, when he wants, and yet he has us praying to him like a child to a father. So a king and yet also a dad who's saying, well, I can do whatever I want when I want, and yet you're praying for me to take away the cancer. Sometimes I might say yes to that. Sometimes no. But I know it's best for you, right? For thy kingdom to come, the kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. He's God. He's the king. He does what he wants. But we pray in this petition that it would come to us also. Well, how does God's kingdom come? Well, a, um, when a king lands in enemy territory, I mean, think more like not in our day and age when they have presidents like flying to hostile, seemingly hostile countries just to visit them or whatever, but... And you've got nations warring against nations in like Reformation, Dark Ages era. And a king gets closer to a different place. The kingdom is expanding. Otherwise, he doesn't go there. He gets killed. So the king is only going to go places that belong to his kingdom. And so when the king goes places, his kingdom is just expanding more and more. So wherever God is, that's where his kingdom is. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our heavenly father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace, we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Now you see how the kingdom come flows out of the name. So we prayed, we wanna hear God's, hear God's word taught rightly so we lead holy lives according to it. But how am I gonna do that? So we're praying for God's kingdom to come. We're praying to hear his holy word so we receive the Holy Spirit and lead a godly life. They're connected. The name and the kingdom come together. And the Holy Spirit is gonna come up uh, later in the parable. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers. He, calls, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. It's not like only those people who go to church have their businesses do well. Usually it's the opposite. <laughs> Even to all evil people, but we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. So it sets the Christian apart. It's not that he receives God's blessing where other people don't. It's that the Christian actually gives thanks for it. I know I've, I've preached about this before, but like at, at, at restaurants or at, at meals and you sit down for your, for, your, for your meal with your family and you don't eat, it's not like, as you're, especially as you're teaching prayer to your kids, if you don't, we didn't pray, is the food gonna like melt our faces off like an Indiana Jones or like what? Is it, is it gonna poison us if I haven't prayed the right prayer? No. All the, all the Christian is doing, we're not making the food somehow special. It's not going to become more nutritious or less caloric or something just because we prayed for it. All we're doing in our prayers is recognizing that it came from God's hand. So what separates the Christian from dogs 
is that we actually stop and give thanks before we dig in. Think about what the dogs do when you pour the food in the bowl or drop the bread on the ground, just like right at it, right? We're actually stopping and recognizing that this is from God. No, this is not from God. Because, I mean, I, oh, is it, it's a Lumonati's, and I, they're in the back there. They, the lady brought out the pizza. This is from the lady who brought out the pizza. Well, no, this is, what, this is why the list here. What is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food and drink, house or clothing and shoes, house and home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and in case I left anything out, and the like. Everything is wrapped up into this. So the, the way I do it when I'm teaching confirmation, it's like you start with a picture of that pizza and you start thinking about all that went into the pizza. So, not, so let's just pick one ingredient. <laughs> Lumanatis. Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Uh, so, you, so the tomatoes didn't just show up here on this pizza. I don't know what Lumanatis does to their tomatoes, but man, they're like the best ever. Just saying. Garlic infused tomatoes. So some, where'd these tomatoes come from? Some gardener, some farm somewhere? So they didn't just like magically get from that farm to us. They had to actually get trucked there. Um, how did they get trucked there? Well, the roads had to be kept clean. So we're actually praying for, in the winter, we're praying for the truck drivers, the construction workers, for the one, every, one of every eight hours that they get something done. <laughs> I don't, what is with Weber Road? When is that gonna, come on. <laughs> Uh, at least 59 is like, finally, it took them like 10 years. But. So we're giving thanks for the, all the work that went into the roads, the construction workers, the highway patrolmen who are keeping it safe. Like, and that's just the commute from the, from the tomato factory or to, from the farm to the canning factory, right? And then we got to deal with at the farm, the rain, everything that went into making the tomatoes, the workers, the workers who are working at the tomato factory, they're so disconnected from us, you never even think about them when you're enjoying your pizza. And yet, God is working through them. And that guy couldn't go to work that one day uh, if, his, if his family's kind of exploding at home, uh, his kids get sick, so he's not able to work, so he can't actually do the tomatoes. So we're praying for, God, for that guy's kids to be healthy so he can go to work, and by the way, for his car to work. So we can go to work and do the tomatoes so we can get to my plate. And when it gets to my plate, have you noticed? I, mean, I guess Chicago pizza, it's, it's pretty thick. You're supposed to, it's hard to pick up and eat it like New York style. You gotta cut it with a knife and fork. Have you ever tried to use a knife and fork when you're holding an M16 or an AR? What are the illegal ones? A rifle, a shotgun. Have you ever noticed you haven't had to hold a shotgun while you're eating your pizza? You know why that is? Other people are holding shotguns to protect you from others who would bring evil to you. We have military, we have police officers, good government, so we can enjoy our pizza and not even think that we're being invaded like in Red Dawn or whatever. Uh, so 
in fact, Luther says the, the, the knights, when they're riding into battle, like in the Crusades, what's always on the shield? What kind of, well, so especially the, the, of, of particular, um, particular kingdoms, pick, it's just like us. I'm standing on it. What kind of logo do we pick to intimidate those who try to play us in volleyball? A pretty scary lion. So what kind of stuff do you put on your shield when you're riding into battle? Lions, scary things. Something of the kingdom, yeah. Something from your kingdom. Like something, especially, we do the same thing with sports. So there's like mountain lions are common in this area. So we're gonna be the whatever, Estes Park lions or whatever. Um, Luther said that the, the knights of, of these kingdoms should actually have bread on their shields because their purpose is ultimately instilling that the people enjoy their bread in peace. That the entire economy is preserved so that bread can be enjoyed. So a loaf of bread, the, the, bread, the Bethany pretzel buns. Um, so that's, that's daily bread, it's everything that goes, we, we give, we're giving thanks and recognizing also that all of these things not just bread, but everything that we have in our lives, the things that we eat, the house that we have, and also, by the way, all the things that we do not have are, are given to us from God's hand as a gift. And that's, I mean, the hard one is to always to give, to give thanks in our lack, whatever it is. Um, we are, we, are, we like, but we're praying like children and children say, you know what, God, I want this. And, and, and do not hesitate to pray for it. Boldly, confidently ask for whatever it is that you want and need. Knowing, though, that God will decide what is good and what is best for you in his time. And then we, so that we're able to give thanks for what we have and also for what we don't have. The lack is a hard one. But when you think about, like, I, I talked to, uh, is Feishi still here? I mean, yeah, I'm always commiserating with Feishi about this, like we're, we're living in a country that's been so blessed by so much for so long that we like, don't even appreciate the cost that was paid to get it. And so you kind of see it kind of teetering back toward oh, something that's gonna end in poverty or war or some kind of tragic end. But when, the, when you're in the midst of poverty, like you talk to somebody who grew up in the depression or, or in like wartime, they have this like, this strong, there's like a work ethic, this appreciation of value of goods and what it costs to go into things and what our peace costs. They, they appreciate all those things, but, they, but it took them not actually having any of it to appreciate it. They had their lack and God used it for good. So that's how we're able to give thanks. It's really hard though in the midst of lack though to, to give thanks for it. You don't see the long-term benefits necessarily. But again, just like the child, God, we pray, God, I don't, I don't see the value in this lack, the lack of health, the lack of wealth, whatever the thing is. I don't get it. I don't see it. Uh, Lord, if, if, it, if, it, so, if it's so your will, open my eyes to see some value from this. But in all things, Lord, uh, keep me mindful that it is your will and that you love me, regardless of what I receive or don't receive. That's the thy will be done, which Jesus left out of this, uh, this summary here. Uh, forgive us, so give us each day our daily bread. Each day sustain us and forgive our sins 
For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. It's an interesting thing that Luke, in Luke's um, depiction of the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's, he's got both sins and debts. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the, the debts of others. So these are two kind of different pictures of how sin is described in the Bible. Sin in the first, in verse four, forgive us our sins. It's, we would say trespasses. So think that the, maybe the rough translation is like to miss the mark. It's an archery description. So you've got a, got a bullseye and you're shooting for the bullseye and the bullseye would be keeping the law, loving your neighbor as yourself according to the 10 commandments. But when you miss the bullseye, you've missed the mark. That's, you've trespassed, you've missed. So that's sin in one way. The other way that it's described though is in Matthew to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like the old, old is it the King James Lord's Prayer go that way? Forgive us our debts. Um, so, so what is a debt? Something we owe. So now in our sin against others, we're accumulating debt. But notice we're praying to whom in the Lord's Prayer? We're praying to God, our Father, to forgive us debts. So most of, my, most of our sin that we recognize is often done against each other, and yet we're accruing debt against God. So this debt, though, is an interesting thing about debt. Like, it doesn't just go away, just, despite what our government seems to try. Get, I'll just give it, if I just make more money, it won't create any problems in the long run. So, but what, so if, if you, if, if, if you, if I owed you a million dollars and you just forgave the debt, does that mean it just went away? It meant you ate it. There's a million dollars that you did not get to spend on anything else. So is that not what Jesus is doing on the cross then? So he is paying the debt on the cross. So it's not just, when we say, oh, Jesus forgives me all my sins. We don't want to disconnect that from Christ crucified. He forgives us all of our sins. But it wasn't just that he just, like a Jedi warrior, these aren't the droids, your sin's gone. Magic. You know, just, no, he had to die. He had to pay for it. He had to take the debt into himself. And so that's this picture of debts so, and that Jesus gives a parable later of, the, of this, the unmerciful servant who is forgiven much but refuses to forgive others. So this is what's so moving about Good Friday is when we're mindful of the great debt that our Lord has forgiven us, that we are turned to our neighbor to forgive, recognizing that, you know, I've been forgiving so, so much more than the piddly things that I'm holding against others. Um, and when I start to, when I start to get... Um, stingy with my forgiveness, I'm, I'm to turn back to Jesus and receive more of his to remind myself what, what I should be doing. Forgive us our sins, my missing the mark, so that I can forgive the debts of others, those who have sinned against me and brought up debt against me. And lead us not into temptation. So cause, uh, don't cause or lead us into temptation or really to cause or bring us not into temptation is the way the Greek kind of goes there. So lead us in such a way that we wouldn't be going toward temptation. As the catechism puts it, 
We pray uh, in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look, well, I put the wrong one on there. No, it's forgive us our trespasses. I'll read that one too, Roy, uh, Roman numeral five. We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. But we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. The key word there is sincerely forgive. That's the, that's the condemning word. Whenever there's like adjectives or adverbs added to stuff, that's where it kind of it kills it. Um, I... I, I repent of my sins. I sincerely repent of my sins. You should have just said, well, you repented, man. Now, now you bring up this word, or sincere, it, it brings up subjectivity. Do you sincerely forgive your neighbor? Maybe sometimes. Do you always sincerely forgive? Do you hold, or does it kind of linger? Do you, do you forget as easily? I mean, do you hold grudges, <laughs> right? And this is, so what we're learning here is our, we're, we're to, we are to forgive and not hold grudges and freely forgive and sincerely, but you're not gonna get it sincerely by just saying, I wanna do it sincerely. What makes something sincere is a change in the heart. And how do you get a clean heart? Give us the Holy Spirit. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit. Forgive you. So it is conditional, and that's why we need Jesus' blood and his um, Yeah, so the Lord's Prayer, in this, especially in this petition, should cause our old sinful flesh to fear. Because every time I say that I, sh I forgive me my sins just like I forgive everybody else's. Wait a second. No, no, no. Th th forgive me better, because I don't forgive like I should. So that, that's where we see our sin, and we're convicted rightly of that. But we want to say, I, I should be forgiving my neighbor, so Lord, help me forgive. So I forgive my neighbor, give me the Holy Spirit, strengthen my faith so that I can actually forgive with a sincere heart. Lead us, lead us not into temptation. Um, God tempts no one, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice, although we are attacked by these things. So we do face temptations to unbelief, despair, shame, and vice. We pray that we would overcome them and win the victory. But we're mindful here that when it comes to temptation, we know that God doesn't tempt us, but he does, he does use things to strengthen us and lead us to, to, to trials that would strengthen our faith. But the Christian is able to see in the midst of trials that this is not a temptation to unbelief. The devil might try to use it as such, but God's working through this to bring about good in some way. He's, he's strengthening me. Uh, we're, we're at time. Any comments or questions on the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, Don. Most of our prayers are personal. Think of Luther's prayer this morning. Think of Luther's prayer this morning. Think of Luther's But you could. 
That's good. That's a good point. So the, the, in the Lord's Prayer, it's like the Lord's Prayer teaches us a lot of things that we otherwise wouldn't know about ourselves. Like right, right away, our, our Father. I'm praying, oh, so God is my Father. I didn't realize that. That's good to know. So God, my, the Heavenly Father is my Father. And also, I'm not alone. I've got, I've got siblings, right? And one of them happens to also be Jesus, who's teaching me to pray our Father. I think that that's maybe the biggest value of that, of that, the plurality of the hour is that Jesus is bringing us in with him. So he's our brother praying to God, his father. But yeah, it's, it's also, it's the corporate faith that we confess as the church, right? So we're mindful of, of what's that? Right. That's great. So it's not just us and our, and it's not just you and your pew or you and your congregation or you and your church service, but it's the church of all times and places all over the world at all times. All right, well, we got through the Lord's Prayer. Next week, we'll, we'll pick up with verse five. And it's a really cool um, parable that Jesus gives unfolding prayer. The Lord be with you.